Dignity. Security. Freedom. Freedom. Respect. Justice. 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 Equality. Equality. Remedy. Protection. Fairness. Fair time. Education, culture, human rights, charter Dana, Good afternoon to all of our listeners on CJTR Community Radio at 91.3 FM and over the internet at cjtr.ca. We can also be heard on SaskTel Max at channel 806 and Access Communications Digital Service at channel 700. Wherever you are, welcome to Human Rights Radio, hosted weekly by Amnesty International volunteers. Our theme song is titled 30 Words, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, written and performed by REM and a collection of musicians from around the world. I'm Jim Hutchings, and with me is my co-host Gordon Barnes and special guests Rhonda Rosenberg and Jordanos Tesfamerium from the Multicultural, uh, Multi- Multicultural Council of Saskatchewan. We'll be talking about racism in Saskatchewan and how the council works to change attitudes generally and in the workplace. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And I uh, really would like to extend a special thank you both to you, Rhonda, and, and Jordanos for being with us this afternoon and, and discussing and sharing information about an your work an incredibly important topic. It's really timely. Um, it's probably a conversation we're going to need to have more than once. Um, we appreciated the fact that you were on as a guest, Rhonda. I think it was back in March uh, mm-hmm. around the International Day uh, for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. It was a great show. And we're really fortunate to have you back today, both of you. And uh, I'm not sure where you would like to begin with the program, but uh, we were talking earlier about... Uh, the definition you use of, uh, of racism, would that be a good starting place? Sure. Yeah, we can start right from there. So MCAS, um uses the United Nations, United Nations Association in Canada's definition because um, we felt that it really 
described how we understand racism well. It's any distinction, exclusion, restriction, or preference based on race, color, descent, or national or ethnic origin that has the purpose or effect of nullifying or impairing the recognition, enjoyment, and exercise on an equal footing of human rights and fundamental freedoms in the political, economic, social, cultural, or any other field of public life. So it's really about creating restrictions on people's lives, on being able to live full lives to our our chosen potentials. Within your... Uh, I noticed within your anti-racism 101 kind of training you kind of describe different kinds of racism and I, I wonder if you'd like to share information with respect to that because I think it's a good kind of conversation and place to to start as well mm-hmm. yes I will I can share that and that is uh, the first one being that the individual racism that is between people let's say uh, treatment in the stores or restaurants um, and also the other one is systematic discrimination is embedded in institution systems. The direct link between residential school, uh, cultural distraction to social issues such as poverty, employment, education, health, and legal issues for indigenous people is an example. And also the other aspect of it is cultural racism the cultural racism, the social production and reproduction of values and standards which privilege privilege uh, one group cultural heritage and identify over those of another, such as encouraging, encourage schools to include indigenous perspective and content, reflect the full diversity of Saskatchewan, uh, special values and beliefs beyond holidays and performing performance and foods but to really reflect other cultures uh, in the mainstream so people would know that there is more than one main one culture of uh, Canada or Saskatchewan the other aspect of um, form of racism is the internalized racism which occurs when people targeted by racism come to believe that the stereotypes and prejudice of racism are valid. Uh, They may act out of this belief by oppressing others of their own group or by devaluing themselves through feelings of shame, self-hurt, isolated, being powerless, and also self-doubt. Um, those type of racism, the four types of racism that within MCAS that we work on is to encourage at the individual level racism exists at the systematic uh, institutional racism exists as well as at the cultural level and at the internalized level uh, of racism. And also the, um, the aspect of those in terms of how to understand them is understanding prejudice and discrimination so one of them being guilt is the glue that holds prejudice in place people usually do not change their attitude or behavior when they are uh, when they are being blamed or shamed guilt behavior includes moralizing 
judging and giving pol uh, polity response. Um, so in terms of also that the prejudice and discrimination affects people at the mental, spiritual, and emotional level, healing must also address those levels. Uh, deeply connecting with other people, hearing their stories, both sides of the speaker and the listener, and is a more effective way to shift attitude than lecture, lecturing or theory about racism, that it actually exists. And when, we, when two people get together to talk, about, to talk about it and to hear both stories, um, and also prejudice can be uh, in your face, but, also, but often could be very subtle as well. Practicing skill for, real, uh, for realities and interaction to interpret day-to-day uh, incidents of racism, uh, such as oppression jokes and slur, empowers, empowers people to take larger institution. Um, so in terms of when we see others being discriminated or when we see, when we hear slurs of racial or when we hear um, people being discriminated to so actually be part of it, that conversation to say, hey, that's, that joke actually is not funny. So, uh, so then we're standing for other people. We're not just um, bystanders, but we actually are doing something about it. There's a lot to think about there in terms of what you've just shared. It's really, you know, I was reflecting on, as you were talking, uh, the events in Saskatchewan most recently that have been in the news, the, the terrible comments that some people were making on social media mm -hmm. uh, after the uh, murder of Colton Bushy, um, and also the events in Saskatoon last week where, you know, <coughs> there was an online video that was posted where the terrible uh, racist uh, slurs were made in a, in a pub in Saskatoon. And so I, I was thinking about that as you were talking, Erdanos, but um, I, I guess one of the things uh, you were talking also about the the idea that you would stand up and say, hey, that's not funny, you know, mm -hmm. that's not appropriate. And I've noticed even in the news this week that People are saying that, you know, uh, in in the context of the, what happened in Saskatoon, mm -hmm. and um, it's not always an easy thing for people to do, in a, individually or as a group. And uh, I'm wondering how you, you know, within your your resources and all the rest, support people in in getting the um, the confidence to do that kind of thing and. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we do for young people is every year in February we offer um, anti-racism youth leadership workshops and we work um, partially through drama exercises where um, the, the participants are able to share their own experiences with racism and discrimination and they create frozen tableau images of of a story or a combination of people's stories often we get that it doesn't matter it's a story that's happening that that belongs to the group and then we play with them we get playful with them and we we see where there are opportunities for different characters in it to have some choice 
about what they could do. And it's very often people who are in a bystander kind of role that are able to make a real difference. And that that experience of playing in a role-playing sort of situation can make can can be where people are able to try out something different. Now, so, trying out something different, sometimes something different doesn't work. Um, I know I've seen, I certainly saw that, that video online, and we know in the aftermath of um, Gerald Stanley's killing of Colton Bushy that this has really garnered tons of attention. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of things I want to say, I think on behalf of Emcus, we'd like people to know that our... Our hearts really go out to Colton, Colton's family and friends, to family and friends of everyone who is harmed through through systems of oppression. And we know that's a lot of people in our communities. Um, we're also thinking, even in terms of, um, you know, that choice that Gerald Stanley made in that instant has changed his life immensely as well and so this is about empathy for him and his family and friends and the people around him as well um we know that your um uh, talked really well about the the four different forms of racism and they are different forms however they're not totally separate from each other and i think we need to remember that that individual racism is always fed by cultural and institutional racism, right? That we we get negative ideas about certain groups of people and stereotypes about groups of people because those are culturally embedded. Um, when we were talking about the unlearning I needed to do about my own education about Indigenous people in Canada, I'm young enough that I... Uh, didn't have the education about savages and uncivilized people that the Europeans needed to come and and bring into civilization. However, my in my era, it felt like the education was very paternalistic, and uh, I learned about First Nations people as naive children mm-hmm. that could be bought for a box of beads and and could be tricked. Into, into treaties that weren't going to be kept. And I've really had to unlearn that and, and know that there were people here with complex leadership systems and, and civilizations and deep belief systems and, um, and that they were basing their relationship with these newcomers on the kinds of relationships they've, ha- they've been having with each other for millennia, right? That that they were they were used to having trade relationships with people who were different from them and spoke different languages and had different customs and and so there there often we have to do unlearning of of some of the cultural and institutional information that that we've been surrounded with. Mm-hmm. You know, it must be a, a really interesting environment you work in both of you at the multicultural council when i because you're working cross-culturally mm-hmm. within so many communities in saskatchewan and and i'm sure at times um that creates challenges uh because of 
misunderstandings within communities and and uh i just thinking as you were just talking Rhonda about that uh um it, it, this must be very interesting work but uh, challenging at times too for sure it's both and i think just listening to you i think that one of the MCAS has articulated five streams of multicultural work, um, and they're they're uh, like the forms of racism. They're separate, but they're interrelated. And so, their cultural continuity, celebration of diversity, anti-racism, uh, intercultural connections and integration, and some of the work that we are doing around intercultural connections is really. A powerful tool to break down racism as well. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the Bridges program? Yeah. Bridges program is in terms of um, between n newcomers and Indonesians, and that is from what we have done at the provincial level, actually. Yeah, you can talk yeah. about it, but I can talk about it at the youth level. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So we have. Um, two major provincial partners that work on this Bridges program with us. They're the Aboriginal Friendship Centers of Saskatchewan and Saskatchewan Association for Immigrant Settlement and Integration Agencies, SESHA. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A long acronym. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're the provincial partners, but this is really about bringing people together to build relationships over time. This is not a one-time event kind of thing. This is about building relationships over time in communities and getting beyond the cultural exchange at that top I'm gesturing with my hands on radio at that <laughs> top of the iceberg visible culture level of music, song, dance clothing, art to the cultural values and beliefs that those things actually express because they do express deeper understandings and it's often at that deeper level that we have very meaningful similarities even when the expressions seem to be very different and we have differences that we need to be able to have open respectful safe conversations about and really that you know we were talking about um tools that that people need to get beyond racism knowing how to have those kinds of conversations and creating spaces where we really are able to have them i can't think of anything more important than that to be honest where we you know we all kind of looked at each other when Jordanos was talking about like we need to hear each other's stories mm -hmm. we really need to listen to each other's experiences that's everybody's experiences we need to hear them and they need to be acknowledged as real right and and so i know that i was at a beautiful occasion i'm not talking about bridges now but i'm talking about a bridges type of thing the ukrainian community in saskatchewan is very well established they are now celebrating their 125th year of of settlement in in saskatchewan huge deal right that's that's a long time for that community they have really been able to um they've been so successful in terms of cultural continuity in terms of integration right we see we we acknowledge ukrainian contributions to our culture both in terms of um decision makers 
Roy Romano would be the most obvious, but we have many other examples of, of Ukrainians as decision makers. But also, I, I when I moved to Saskatchewan, it had not been absolutely mandatory if you were going to a buffet that there be pierogies on that buffet. I don't think I've ever been to a buffet in this province where there are not pierogies on the buffet, right? So from that decision-making leadership, which is so important, to just having something as comforting as a familiar cultural food be part of everyday experience, all of those are about integration, right? So at this at at a celebration of this 125th anniversary they chose to look at opportunities to where there have been bridges and where they are able to build bridges with indigenous people here and I was able to sit in a teepee and listen to a First Nations man from the Kenora area talk about very positively about his relationships with the Ukrainians in that region, the farmers that he had known in that region, and how people helped each other out, right? That they saw each other as neighbors. And that's really where we need to go. And I think I thought that that was just a, um, a really nice story that shows we have those examples in our history as well as the harsh examples of, of exclusion and discrimination and, you know, with residential schools, attempted cultural gen- genocide, right? That we're trying to assimilate people, wipe a culture out by making them mm-hmm. like the British. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about another Ukrainian bright light was Sylvia Fedoric. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so do you have a youth component to the Bridges yes. program? Yes. <clears throat> the youth bridges component is uh, so with um, Region Opener Society. We partner with Region Opener Society, the Friendship Center. Um, so we bring youth, uh, both organization bring youth together, and we uh, facilitate that. And that is what we have done is uh, for March um, Easter break, we had the three day gathering for the youth. Uh, so the the newcomer youth and also the indigenous youth. Uh, we had a, for the three days gathering for the first day half we had an intercultural communication in terms of the cultural iceberg and also creating a culture so that way they can interact with each other and then um, we also did in terms of what to expect we did it uh, we went to Gordon First Nation Reserve for a day the next day and that we had Sue to talk about what they expect when they go to First Nation, Gordon First Nation Reserve, and also the cultural uh, protocols and all of that. And the day at Gordon First Nation, the youth get to learn about um, the Indian Act, the residential school, as well as uh, the way of life at the uh, at Gordon uh, Gordon's First Nation Reserve. Um, this the the connection like the spirit the horse how they yeah the horse is the spirit and the bison and the many ways that's used in a modern day Mm -hmm. the bison um the importance of bison in the first nations culture and way of life um as well as visiting the schools uh and uh the employment center where they learn about the opportunities that 
at the reserve what there is. And also... Can I break in yes. for a moment? Mm-hmm. I just want to share a little, a couple little moments mm-hmm. uh, from that yeah. day um, at Gordon's because um, we had some very newly arrived um, Syrian youth with us and a father who had heard we were going to a farm and wanted to make sure oh. that he came. Yeah. There, are, there are a number of Syrians who have come as refugees this winter who... Um, who had horses mm-hmm. and so for them to be near horses they were they wanted to ride them and we couldn't quite let that happen <laughs> but that that's a place of connection yeah. right that that relationship with those animals was a real place of connection um another i think another important learning that that we got from mm-hmm. that day of uh, at gordon's which sounds really simple, but is really important if people are looking at how to break down barriers. It's really important to set up programming and create activities and plan really well and, you know, make sure your pedagogy meets your objectives and all of that. Great. That's all really important. But you know what? We had time at their training and employment center. And the women who worked there... We'd already had lunch, but they brought out food. We're with teenagers. Please remember, we're with teenagers. <laughs> They're locusts. And <laughs> and so these people brought out food and didn't have anything structured planned. So the kids just had time to hang out and eat. And it was at that time that can, relationships really started. And they started just, they were just talking to each other. And there was there was one girl in particular who was so shy on the first day, both in the big group and the small group. She couldn't talk. She couldn't even talk in her small group. And um, and I could see it was just, she was just shy and scared. And so she, nobody, like, excluded her or judged her or anything about it. But as soon as we had that downtime, yeah. she was right in there, yeah. right? And And so I think that... Um, sometimes it seems like wasted time to have kind of unplanned time where you haven't packed it jam full of idea of activity, but it's super important. You know the the conversation um, where you started first of all telling about the story from Kanora, mm-hmm. and then more recently what you're doing with youth is really interesting because you know the. the where people initially had as neighbors that connection and now mm-hmm. you know in our many of our communities we are uh living apart and mm-hmm. uh, even within the cities there's a lot of division and uh mm-hmm. i think that's one of the things we might want to even come back to in the next part of the program but i i think you know you raised some really good discussion points in the first half so it's been wonderful and that brings us to the end of our first half hour. And I'm Jim Hutchings with uh, Gord Barnes. We're talking to Rhonda Rosenberg and Yordanos Gasparium uh, from the Multicultural Council of Saskatchewan. We'll be right back, and we're going to play a little bit of music out of the break. And I was looking, I, I picked three from the list of anti-racism songs on, on your website there. Oh, cool. And the one that I like the best, of course, is Kermit. <laughs> <laughs> and it it starts off with with uh, Fozzie Bear uh, thinking that well maybe he's insulted or or 
hurt Kermit's feelings or something like that. So that's how it starts off, and then it's not easy being green. Well, I hope I didn't hurt his feelings. It's not easy being green Having to spend each day the color of the leaves When I think it might be nicer being red or yellow or gold or something much more colorful like that It's not easy being green Seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things And people tend to pass you over Cause you're not standing out like flashy sparkles in the water Or stars in the sky But green's the color of spring And green can be cool and friendly-like And green can be big like a mountain Or important like a river Or tall like a tree When green is all there is to be It could make you wonder why But why wonder, why wonder I'm green and it'll do fine It's beautiful And I think it's what I want to be Kermit gets a well-deserved round of applause there for it. <laughs> for it's not easy being green, and uh, I suppose it's not. <laughs> well, uh, welcome uh, to everybody who's listening to Human Rights Radio this Friday, and uh, we're very fortunate to have Rhonda and Yordanos from the Multicultural Council of Saskatchewan. It's been a great discussion so far in the program, and Maybe, Rhonda, did you want to continue with the conversation we were having uh, just before the break? Sure. So you were, you were talking about, um, so what happens when we start to get a bit segregated in how mm. we're living and, and when we're not uh, rubbing shoulders with as much diversity. And sometimes, you know, when we go to Superstore here in Regina, we see so much diversity, right? If we walk around downtown now, we see lots of diversity, but we don't necessarily have that represented in our social circles and in our neighborhoods. And, and so um, one of the things, especially when we get race and class converging as in, in terms of the segregation and we have hoods, right, mm-hmm. that we start to get um, people who have people who benefit from systems of oppression that they don't they know that they're not it's like not me that did it uh, you know why I can't feel guilty about it and your dentist talked about how guilt isn't productive here mm-hmm. but action to change things is an understanding mm-hmm. of our benefits but even of how it is in 
if I'm a privileged person, it's in my interest to start to dismantle the systemic racism and question the cultural racism because I don't want to have to start investing in expensive security systems and gated communities and building walls and electric fences. And those are things that are taxing on my time and energy and money and stress levels, right? For me to live in um, a society built, built on more equity that it really is better for all of us. So even for the people who seem to benefit from systems of oppression, there's a cost there as well that, that's often very hidden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was one. And one of the people, if people who are listening are looking to learn more about that, there is no one better than Tim Wise. So if you Google Tim Wise, he's got lots of written resources and videos out there in which he, he really talks about... Um, when we are looking to, to question privilege and look at power, um, to really appeal to people's own self-interest, that, that your life is actually going to be better with greater equality. You know, I was thinking about it in terms of, because we, in many of our cities, do live apart, mm -hmm. yet um, people in rural communities live, even though they're, they're not necessarily next-door neighbors, they're down the road, and uh, people uh, with d different backgrounds, people who live in the reserve or uh, First Nations, Indigenous peoples, and um, people who are farming down the road do, in many communities, rely on each other mm -hmm. and uh, and get to know each other in you know because they go to town and shop and stuff. But in in our in our cities where we've become very divided in many cases because of, as you say, Rhonda issues around class as well um breaking that down is really difficult yeah. because uh um it's it, it's a significant uh, and it you know it, it affects so many things like our you know things like the composition of our city councils mm -hmm. you know we haven't begun to address that and um, there's there's a lot of work we need to do in this area there's a lot of work that we need to do and and a lot of um I guess those opportunities to build those bridges, but also I think rural and urban, it's really important to understand our history too. Um, and, you know, we were talking about values before and um, we were having this conversation earlier this morning about both farmers and First Nations people have a real value placed on the land and a connection and identity to the land. And it's not the same as each other, mm. but that's a piece of, that's a common place to start we're also saying you know like you know we're talking about where to start having these conversations right it's always easier to talk about what we have in common where our similarities are well i don't think i've ever met a human that doesn't care about what happens for the next generations doesn't want things to be good for the next generations whether or not we have our own children right that kind of obvious for parents and grandparents but for even when people don't have their own children there's still that sense of wanting life to be good for future generations and that's a really good place to start how can we create a community that's going to be a good place to live for all of our kids for all the kids in our lives, that that next generation is going to have 
a really good place to thrive, but that where it's a shared future and a harmonious future. So when we start with that, it lets us get to things like, okay, how we treat land, how we understand water, how we see, you know, for First Nations people, many of them see rocks as something animate, as representing the grandfathers, right? And, and whereas for most farmers that came from Western backgrounds, that's not how they would see rocks. Mm. Those are real differences that are important differences. They're important to understand and talk about. It's important to understand our treaty relationships. It's important to understand um, the hardships that our governments created for the first peoples who lived here before those treaties were even written, right? That there, there, there's a lot to understand in our history because it's not just back there in the past. We're living it today, right? We, we need to understand we're all living that treaty relationship. There's nothing, it's probably nothing more important for Saskatchewan people to really get right now, but that we're all, we are all treaty people, as the Office of the Treaty Commissioner likes to tell us. Mm-hmm. And that... Everywhere we live and work and play, that's treaty land. That's land that was lived on, walked on, loved on by Indigenous people for, for generations. So, Jordanus, would you like to come back to the discussion we were having earlier about the, the Bridges program and youth and what yeah. you're doing in that area and that, some of the experiences you've had with that? Yes, certainly. So with the, when you bring in together, we were just talking about it also, what we did was that we have the youth for the three-day activity. The third day, we had the youth to volunteer, both the newcomer youth and the First Nation youth, Indigenous youth to volunteer at the food bank and working together so they have gotten to know each other and working together and sorting out the food and giving back to the community. It's a really good way to connect people, to connect people to the community. So that means that this is their community and they wanted to give back their time in helping the food bank. Part of it, while you're helping the food bank, you also are helping, to, you also are understanding how people can benefit from that by sorting out the food and giving and the newcomers were asking what kind of food so can we donate like we have this at home we have that at home so the the food bank gave them uh, informational educational informational what they can donate what things can be donated what things can't be donated so that's a very good awareness and bringing you together to work together as well as celebration is part of gathering as well and that uh, that's one thing about cultures is eating different foods from different background <laughs> and also with teenagers and with youth groups food is number one <laughs> having the food um, we had um, we had the youth leadership to talk about the next step of youth bridges and what activities they would like to be we just do not want to plan the activities for them but we had them to identify and brainstorm ideas and food just keep coming <laughs> <laughs> food. but food. also volunteering and they really want they really want to work alongside each other and and uh, i know from things i've been involved in but also there's a great program in vancouver called collingwood neighborhood house that really structures activities mm-hmm. for intercultural bridge building with working together so they there was kind of a scraggly park in the neighborhood that they planned together and rebuilt together 
they've done art projects where they're they're building things together. I think cooking is a great way when we we stand together in a kitchen and we're going to start talking about what we're doing. And then we're going to start talking about our families and our work and we just start to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And then it's really about seeing each other as people and seeing each other as as often as as po- possible allies when we've got problems to solve or when we're work- looking towards the future. Mm-hmm. So we've had the conversation about food and <laughs> art. I'm just wondering about sports. And mm-hmm. and because it, you know so many young people have their favorite sports be it and I I noticed the uh, Syrian refugees uh, downtown like just love to play soccer <laughs> <laughs> outside the Open Doors Society. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you get a group together are, are uh, with different cultural backgrounds, are there mm-hmm. opportunities to connect through sport, do you think? And also I'm wondering, um, I, I know th- there have been concerns over the years about, you know, in, in sport, Environments like hockey and stuff, where there are mm-hmm. issues around racism as well. So, do you want to, uh, you know, share some experiences around that and what you're doing? Sure. Um, we're not working directly with sport right now, but I know MCAS in years past worked with um, SAS Sport and um, SAS Parks and Recreation on creating the. Um, work, live, and play together model. And they even had like anti-racism stop signs that you could put in your workplace, in your arena, in, in wherever that might be. And it's really important. It's really important to raise awareness of um, power relationships that can happen in sport and why they're really not welcome there. That's not what it's about. Um, that lots of sports are interesting. Um, and... This is a commercial example, but I think it's a good example. There's a, the Cana- Canadian Tire had a, uh, had a series of ads for the Olympics. And one of them, I think, Gord, illustrates what you'd like to see in terms of what sport could be. So there was a group of, of young boys, and they were doing the picking teams for baseball thing. So two captains each choosing teams one at a time. Oh, right. And the yeah. one guy chose this South Asian looking kid sitting on the sidelines, kind of not even not even really part of this group. He said, I want you on my team. And that was a very brave, inclusive move for that kid to take. That good for him, right? That I that, remember this now. Yes. <laughs> and so and then all the other kids are like speaking aloud about this like why'd you pick him he's not going to be any good right like the other kids are talking about it and then it's his turn up to bat and he holds the bat kind of funny kind of <laughs> low when they're making fun of him about that and then he hits a home run <laughs> and then they're all like gathered around him and clapping him on the back and it's all happy and they're friends and it's like i thought you said you never played baseball and he just says cricket. (laughs) So we know that there are the cricket population and the cricket, the cricket league in Saskatchewan is growing so quickly right now. So very quickly. And this is an opportunity, not just for cricket players to excel at baseball, but for baseball players to learn a new sport that's actually quite a similar sport, right? Mm -hmm. That they're there are cross-cultural possibilities that that could be there. There are um, 
Filipinos love basketball. It's like a big, huge deal in, in the Philippines. And they have their own basketball league. But there are, you know, intercultural opportunities there too, right? There's all kinds of things that that can happen through sports. Sport, like anywhere else, is a place where racism happens. And bullying that's not racial happens as well. Just um, sometimes in... Sometimes in the sport environment, um, hierarchies become very important and being better than, than other people become very important. And sometimes that can lead to um, kids being excluded or really put down. Um, there's lots of... Um, I know that there's a lot of homophobia that happens in sport talk and and that's extremely hurtful too so creating respectful environments in sport is really important and we know that there are lots of leaders out there who are who are working hard on that it's not an area we've focused on recently but it's certainly an area where we see great and horrific examples of of people coming together and and people um, being damaged I, I was thinking as you were talking to I mean some sports are easier to play than others just because of the cost I mean like hockey soccer can be a very expensive sport and it's literally tiered you know the yeah, structure is tiered. tiered based mm -hmm. on not just uh, how well you play hockey, but it's based on how much money you've got. Mm -hmm. uh, let's let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. However, things like soccer are very and, accessible, and, and basketball can yes. be as well. Um, but even there, you know, you need the you shoes, need the support to get there, yeah. <laughs> and you need to. Know, it's even access, yes. right? Yeah. That it's it's about access too. You need to know what's out there. You need to know how to sign up. And, you know, something that we often talk about in terms of welcoming and inclusive communities, sometimes it's about a sense of, is that for me or not? Do I feel like that's a place where I would belong? And, you know, when we look at contributions from different people and and. We know a lot of our newcomers, not just the Syrians, but a lot of newcomers from a lot of different countries are very big on soccer, mm -hmm. which very few of them would call soccer. Most of them would call it football, right? right? But they're, they're big on that sport that we call soccer. And we also know that the soccer leagues desperately need coaches all the time, and they rely on parent volunteers as coaches. And so to really make sure that those parents are aware that their contributions would be really welcome in terms of coaching kids that that they have knowledge that i mean just about everybody puts their kids in soccer these days when they're little and and so that um those kinds of contributions but that sense of is it for me is this a place where i see myself belonging sometimes we really need to look very critically and sometimes build relationships with individuals to help us look critically at our organizations to say well would this feel like a place where I feel welcome mm -hmm. you know I heard Zarka Nawaz talking about 
her own choice to coach soccer one year. Not because she knew anything about soccer, because <laughs> she said she didn't. <laughs> but she made that choice because she wanted her kids' peers to see a woman in hijab coaching soccer. Mm. That was why she made that choice. And and so she and and those kinds of things like like had she not done that as a woman who grew up in Canada, that opens the door for other people to to say, oh, okay, I guess a woman in hijab can coach soccer. That's not our image of the the dad who coaches soccer, <laughs> but but that worked. That was okay. So those are those are examples of how we. Um, it's not kind of heavy racism per se, but there's there are all kinds of barriers and obstacles that when they're not barriers for us, we don't see them as as we don't see them. They're just invisible. Privilege is invisible, and barriers are invisible. And so, how, asking for help and seeing what the barriers are is often a fantastic first step in in actually um, maybe not confronting racism head on, but creating environments where we don't have to deal with it so much. Mm-hmm. What I'm wondering about is, did you want to spend a little bit of time just sort of sharing what the Multicultural Council can do in terms of offering um, programming to, say, workplaces or community groups? And uh, also, how people being can get in touch with you, uh, uh, and and if there's more with respect to the youth stuff that you'd like to share too, that'd be great. So. Sure, I think there's a, probably a few things that we want to share. So people should know that um, we mentioned at the beginning that there is a March 21st is the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. That's the United Nations declared date since 1966. And Canada declared date since 1989. Um, we run a campaign for that every year. And people can use the hashtag MarchOutRacism. So they can use that on social media even now when it's not, you know, it's not close to March. They can still use that hashtag. Um, and connected with the, the wanting to really shine a spotlight on racism in March... In February, we run these youth leadership campaigns, um, our youth leadership workshops, so that high school students are able to um, do things in their schools and communities that are helping people understand racism and and combat it. Um, this can be a very initial call out for people who are interested in being facilitators for those workshops um, or if teachers are listening bringing, bringing groups of high school students to them uh, some of the other things we have on our website our website is mcos.ca that's where you'll find all of our contact information it's the easiest thing to get to mcos.ca we have now a page called anti-racism 101 Lots of links and resources on there, and we keep adding to them. If you are aware, if listeners out there are aware of other links that we should have on that page, please let us know. We're happy to add add more into that. Um, I think that it's important to look at other initiatives as well. Um, some of 
there have been a couple of anti-African Canadian incidents. One, as as Gord mentioned, in Saskatoon last week. Another one in Edmonton really recently. And so in Edmonton, they're using a hashtag, make it awkward. Check out that campaign, right? It's about, it's about disturbing racism a little bit. I just wanted to mention that one to get people thinking about that. Um, the other thing that I've seen really recently, because we know another group, as I was mentioning, um, the soccer coaches and hijabs, uh, that that Muslims uh, get a lot of of racist pushback and and stereotyping about terrorism and and about thinking that w- women covering their hair means that they're oppressed. And um, sometimes there are very public attacks on, on women uh, verbally or even physically. And there have been a couple of circulating how to be an ally, right? And I think that it's how to be an ally to a Muslim woman under attack, but it's really how to be an ally. How to change from being a bystander to being an ally. And maybe we'll just end on this, that it's really about... Um, not so much about confronting the attacker, but much more about engaging in casual calm, creating some calm with the person who's being attacked. And say, you know, without even having to say the words, but indicating I'm with you, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes it's just eye contact. And sometimes it's sitting beside them. Sometimes it's having a conversation. Sometimes it's being willing to escort them where they're going if it feels like there's a physical threat going on. But engage in a conversation to find out what that person would like and what what they might need, how they're feeling. Um, But really, it can be unsafe to engage somebody who's very confrontational. We don't want people to put themselves into unsafe situations, but to create better safety for people who are being attacked. That seems so important in, in terms of the kind of the discussion we've been having and, and some of the events in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Jordanos, did you want to say anything more before we get to the oh, end of the program? Presentations and yeah. stuff, I forgot to talk about that. So in terms of MCOS, we have uh, workshops that we provide for work place uh, regarding uh, anti-racism work as well as as, uh, cultural diversity Um, so feel free to contact us when there is a need for workplace uh, workshops and and I'm just curious because I know Mm -hmm. you came to the workplace where I I work (laughs) and and did that are you getting uh, lots of uh, interest in that Yes, we do get uh, workshop requests for different um, places. We actually are doing the WCB in Saskatoon on the 20th. Great. Mm-hmm. And so. that definitely uses up our time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to close this week's Human Rights Radio and CJTR Community Radio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to and have learned something new about human rights for all people. If you have any questions about today's show or other human rights questions, email us at humanrightsradiocjtr at gmail.com. That's humanrightsradiocjtr, all one word, at gmail.com. Pioneering human rights campaigner Peter Benenson said, Only when the last prisoner of conscience has been freed, the last torture chamber has been closed, the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights is a reality for the world's people, will our work be done.